Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR Poker, where we are smack dab in the middle of our flagship signature event, the OSS, that's right, the online super series, and this one includes a $750,000 mystery bounty tournament with a buy-in of just 109 and your boy, the host of this podcast, is currently in the top 20 in this excellent event. I've already made it to day two. I entered just the other day uh, a 109 buy-in. I only bought in once. 19 players in that particular flight. And the way this one works, you have to get to a certain level. I think it's level 16 to make it to day two. But by the time registration closed, we were basically a final table of eight. And before we got to the magic level 16, I had beaten everybody. So I got every single chip that was in that tournament and it totaled to 115,000. So I'm very excited to play day two of the mystery bounty. I don't know if I will get a chance to play any more flights but I've got 115,000. I believe we come back to uh, 501K. So if I'm right about that, then that means I will have over 100 big blinds to start day two, which is Monday, February 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And I am planning to stream it on twitch.tv slash Clayton Comic. My name is Clayton Fletcher. I'm back in New York City after a fun-filled trip to Florida. This past Tuesday, I played in the Killing Bird home game at the same time as I was playing that $109 mystery bounty flight, at the same time as I was playing an $88 PKO with a $15,000 guarantee in which I also final tabled. I can't remember whether I got 8th place or 7th place, but let's just say it was a very profitable Tuesday for your boy. Uh, Florida, by the way, was unbelievable. I had so much fun. I got to play poker at the Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida. I also played in a circuit event at what used to be called the Isle of Capri, and then it was called Pompano Park Racetrack, and now it's called Harris Pompano. Anyway, they're all down there near Fort Lauderdale, Really good time. I I love that place. I actually, many, many years ago, I worked as a singer at Pompano Park Racetrack. I was in a four-part harmony group. We were called Stackin' 45s. And I got us a gig strolling around the racetrack, the restaurant, and the casino singing doo-wop hits like Duke of Earl and Who Wrote the Book of Love. It feels like another lifetime ago. And I've been back many times since then, but it was kind of interesting to see how they've already started making changes they built a parking garage they got rid of the entire parking lot they've clearly gotten rid of the racetrack they put in a top golf if you haven't been to the isle pompano in a long time wait till you see what caesar's entertainment corporation has done with the place it looks nice 
it seems like they are putting a lot of money into renovating it and I'm excited to see how things go. I played in the final event of the circuit series there. It was called The Closer and I'm going to have a couple of hands for you guys from that exact event later on in this very episode. Now at the time I'm recording this on Thursday, February 15th, Rumors are flying that the World Series of Poker schedule is going to be released tomorrow, the 16th, the day this episode will actually get out there. But I can't wait until then to record because I have a busy day tomorrow. And we always try to release this podcast every week on Friday morning. So I'm assuming that by the time you're actually hearing this, many of you will already know the WSOP schedule, but I don't. And that's why we're not talking about that now. I'm going to try to get Derek Killingbird Tenbush to join me on the podcast next week to talk about the WSOP schedule and hopefully update us. He teased that there might be some news about him being in Vegas this summer a few weeks ago when we had him on the podcast that he personally created. Guys, if you're not yet on ACR Poker, now's the time to join. You can get a first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000. Guys, 100% deposit bonus using the promo code TPE. There's a link in the description of this podcast. All you have to do is click that, and then you'll be well on your way to joining the fun at ACR Poker. So I had so much fun in Florida. I took a night I played online poker on Tuesday. I joined the Killing Bird home game. That was fun. I had all the caches I just mentioned. I can't wait to play day two of that big $100 mystery bounty. I played in that $200 nightly tournament with Montel Williams that we discussed on last week's episode. And uh, I also got to perform for the first time ever at this place called Side Splitters in Tampa. Now this comedy club was so much fun. It's actually a converted movie theater. There are other movie theaters right next to it. Like you could either come to my show or go next door and see Mean Girls, for example. (laughs) So that was kind of interesting. People eating popcorn, eating Twizzlers, drinking cherry Coke, anything else you might expect in a movie theater, except instead of seeing like uh, Ryan Reynolds or Sidney Sweeney on the big screen, you got to see Clayton on the stage and I had a great time. It was really fun. And if you're anywhere near Tampa, I highly recommend you check out Side Splitters. But the next road trip for me is Minneapolis, Minnesota area. It's actually the town of Rochester and I will be at Goonies Comedy Club in Rochester, Minnesota, March 1st and 2nd. So any of my Midwest listeners want to come out, get tickets at GooniesComedy.com. That's GooniesComedy. All right, well, let's review the hands that we discussed from last week. This was a $250 turbo with a $20,000 guarantee at the Seminole Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, One of my opponents was famous talk show host Montel Williams. The blinds were 400-800 with an 800 big blind ante, and we had 72K when the average was about 50K. A very loose Asian lady chip leader with 110K raised it up and two loose players called behind her. And then on my immediate right, the old man in the small blind three bet to 3,800 off of 65,000. And that's about an 80 big blind stack. I had him barely covered. I had ace king in the big blind and I opted for a four bet to 11.5. 
and then everyone folded back to the small blind who shoved and I decided to make an exploitative fold especially when he gave a speech shrugging his shoulders and saying something to the effect of well I'm not going anywhere anyway so I may as well just go all in which I took to be a sign of great strength turned out to be pocket queens but let's see what GTO wizard has to say solver likes the old guy's decision to three bet from the small blind but obviously his sizing was ridiculous just under five big blinds after all that action isn't nearly enough the solver wants to make it more like 12 big blinds closer to 9600 rather than 3800 and uh, my sizes from that point would be to four bet pretty small to 25 big blinds or just to shove all in for all 80 big blinds. Given the fact that he didn't really make it 12 big blinds, I think re-raising to 25 big blinds would be crazy. I made it 15 big blinds, but we can clearly see that when our opponents don't choose the correct sizing, the solver has to kind of do some fudging, I guess you could say. So it's hard to say for sure, but if I make it 25 big blinds with ace-king, I should never fold to the shove. I don't know whether it's okay to make it 15 bigs and then fold with ace-king, but if you once you make it 25, you can never fold ace-king to the shove. We don't four-bet fold with that particular hand or any other hand that would not be considered a bluff. It's a 100% call, so I'm not really sure what kind of score to give myself. As you may recall from last week's episode, I opted to fold, and I was none too pleased when my opponent turned over pocket queens and literally showed them to me. I think that his little speech that he gave, I, I read too much into that and I wish I had called. Certainly if I made it 25 bigs, I would feel more priced in. Um, but yeah, I couldn't really make it 25 when he only made it like four and a half. So <laughs> that's part of the problem is that he doesn't know sizing and his play ended up working out for him because we should have been in a coin flip and instead he got the whole pot. And this is the value of GTO Wizard, you guys. This is a great tool. It really helps you learn how to improve your game. It's super easy to use. I'm not a technical genius myself. I just try to get by in this high-tech world with my low-tech brain. But GTO Wizard is easy enough even for someone like me. It's simple. You can learn countless equilibrium strategies for a limitless number of spots. You can practice using the GTO trainer tool, which just takes you through different spots and you can play them over and over until you get the GTO correct answers. You can also plug in hands that you've played using your HUD of choice and let the GTO wizard work its magic just like a real wizard and help you find the leaks in your game so that you can begin to improve. It is working for me. I'm doing so much work with this tool and I want you guys to join the fun. There's a link in the description of this podcast episode. You can click it and get 10% off your first purchase with GTO Wizard and I promise you will be glad you did. Let's do the other hand from last week. The blinds had gone up to 501,000. Registration was still open. I was under the gun with about 65K, so about 65 big blinds. And I had the Ace of Clubs, Tray of Clubs. I opened to 2,500. And the same loose Asian lady who opened in the previous hand was now our chip leader with 130,000. And she called, as did 
the old man from the previous hand on my right, who now only had about 48,000 in his stack. So does the wizard approve of this open? Yes, it does. 75% of the time we are opening with this hand and 25% of the time you can go ahead and fold it uh, for the purposes of the rest of this hand because GTO wizard can only do post flop scenarios heads up. Let's just pretend the old guy did not call so that I can play this hand heads up against the Asian lady. In real life, he did see the flop with us, but then folded on the flop action. Anyway, let's say the pot was 9,000. The flop came king of spades, queen of clubs, five of diamonds, and the old man checked. I bet 5,000 and the Asian lady called. So let's pretend that the old guy wasn't there and I'm just heads up against one in position opponent. Now, when you're out of position, you get called by players who are in position. Many times you want to check. So let's see what the solver thinks about my C-bet. And GTO Wizard, assuming we are heads up on this flop, would have us C-betting 65% of the time and checking the rest. And this is about the sizing that the solver likes. And at that point, the Asian lady called and we saw a turn of a seven of spades. We still have nothing at all on ace, queen, five, seven, and now backdoor spades appear on the turn. I decided to check. This card did not improve my equity. And my opponent decided to check behind. The solver loves my check, 99.7. So let's just call it 100% of the time when you have C-bet on this flop and then another diamond hits the turn that doesn't help your hand at all. We should virtually always check this card. Uh, she checks behind and now the river comes the eight of spades completing the flush as well as a couple of unlikely straights like nine six and six four. Now you might say unlikely those hands are impossible Clayton but then you must have forgotten I'm in Florida. Anyway I checked this eight of spades on the river and my opponent bet 17.5 into 19,000. I decided to make the call but let's see what the solver says about my check first. So the solver likes checking 45% of the time, but actually bets anywhere from one half to three quarters of the pot 55% of the time. So, wow, I mean, we're just supposed to turn ace high into a bluff here quite a bit. Of the times we do check this river, we are supposed to always fold to the in-position player's large river bet. You may recall that I actually made the call and it was a uh, exploitative decision on my part. I didn't think that the solver would like me calling very often with ace three of clubs on this board, but I'm surprised that it's a never in our theoretical bluff catching range. So yeah, that result actually surprised me. I think ace high is good some of the time, but you know, what do I know? I just had a live read on my opponent and I went with that vibe and made the exploitative call. Even though GTO Wizard did not approve, I actually ended up winning the hand. Anyway, let's talk more Florida poker, shall we? This is from the $400 The Closer event, which took place at what I used to lovingly call the Isle of Capri Casino at Pompano Park Racetrack, which is way too long. It's now called Harrah's Pompano no more racetrack. So this is a $400 buy-in. It's the closer. It's the double stack closer 
tournament. So you start this tournament with 40,000 in chips. Uh, the first hand I want to talk about, the blinds were 400, 800 with an 800 big blind ante. Uh, we're nearing the second break of the day. It's a turbo. The blinds go up every 20 minutes or so. I think it was 20. Yeah, 20 minutes. Uh, at this point, we were at 59K up from the 40K starting stack. And the action folded all the way around to me in the small blind with the 10 of clubs, 9 of clubs. So before I let you know what I did, let's talk about the big blind. A very loose, aggressive, young opponent probably lives and cashes in quite a bit in Florida. Uh, there is a lot of really bad poker being played in Florida on any given Sunday. And I feel like this player is probably a regular in the games there. I did not recognize him from anywhere else, but I thought maybe I had seen him there before in previous visits to Florida. So that was another reason why I thought he might be a reg. It's also possible that I did not recognize him and that he just resembled someone else that I may have played with in the area. Anyway, I he strikes me as a pro, but he's probably not necessarily great at poker, but he obviously knows more about what he's doing than your average opponent in the sunshine state. So I decide to limp in with my 10 of clubs, nine of clubs, and he has me barely covered by the way. I will be limping in with 100% of my range. We've got about 75 big blinds and we're happy to limp in with very big hands, weaker hands, Everything that I'm playing, I'm never raising. I'm just going to limp in and let the aggressive player do aggressive player things. If I have ace nine, king 10, any pair, like any reasonable hand, I'm going to limp three bet with this stack. So I'm protected. I'm limping in with a very aggressive three betting range. And the reason for that is simply, I think that this opponent will mostly be raising too often from the big blind, so this is an exploit against what I perceive his strategy to be. However, I'm not putting 10-9 into that three betting range. I'm planning to call a reasonable sized raise and see a flop with a hand that loves to see a flop, a suited connector, 10-9 of clubs. So I limp in and sure enough, my opponent does raise to 3,000, a pretty big bet, almost four big blinds, and I decide to call. I guess folding is fine as well. Probably three betting is fine, but I'd rather have at least one big card in my hand when I do that. So I think calling is best, but yeah, you can make a case for other plays as well. Anyway, we're going to see a flop. There's 6,800 in the middle, and the flop comes ace of spades, jack of clubs, five of clubs. So ace, jack, five with two clubs, Hero with the flush draw with the 10-9 of clubs, actually a backdoor straight flush draw. <laughs> so I check, as I probably will check, I believe my entire range at this point. And opponent bets 2,500 into the 6,800 pot. I decide to go for the check raise here. There are just so many cards that can improve my hand on the turn. I mean, any club gives me a flush. Any queen gives me an open-ended straight draw. Cards like an eight, a seven, a king, they all give me straight draws. I just feel like this is a great flop, a very robust flop for my hand. I make it 7,000 and my opponent folds 
But on his way into folding his hand into the muck, he commented, he's like, you should have two clubs here a lot. So he actually called my hand. I just had a flush draw with some pretty strong straight possibilities, but still just a flush draw. And I never really understood why players do this. Like if you're going to fold anyway, what's the point of telling me that you think you might have the better hand? Like if you think your hand is good a lot, then why didn't you call? with whatever you had, you know, maybe he didn't have an ace, obviously he didn't have an ace, but maybe he just had a jack or maybe he had like a pair of sevens or something like that. If he really thinks his hand should be good sometimes or a good amount of the time, as he put it, then he should be calling. He's in position. I don't necessarily have to fire again on the turn. I probably wouldn't fire unless I did pick up that flush or a straight draw. I mean, that was the plan. So I just don't get this because he's telling me what his read is, his read is actually 100% dead on, and yet he still threw his hand away. So what's the point of having a great read if you're not going to act on it? I don't get that. But maybe it wasn't a read, maybe it was just a guess, or he wanted to kind of let me know that he knows a thing or two about poker, whatever the case may be. I want to talk about what I would do if my opponent calls. My plan for this hand was to fire again, and fairly big by the way, on the turn if I pick up any kind of equity. Like if I make a flush, or if I pick up a straight draw of any kind, I'm actually going to put in a heavy bet on the turn, and then if I happen to brick off on the end, the plan was to bomb the river. We didn't put all these chips in with 10 high just to get to the river with 10 high and then give up on the hand. I would give up on the turn if it came something like a deuce of spades, so, you know, some kind of card that didn't help me in any way. If my check raise gets called on the flop, I'm not going to continue unless I pick up equity on the turn. This allows me to be bluffing with a large amount of equity and make my opponent's life really hard those times when he has a hand like ace nine or even ace king if he ends up with just one pair on the end, I think it will be very hard for him to call a very large bet on the end, possibly even an overbet bluff to threaten his standing in the tournament. And the reason why is because I perceived this opponent as being good enough to be able to fold one pair, even a strong one pair like Ace King. And many Florida players are not able to fold any piece of any board. So for that reason, players like him kind of stand out. When they visit the place where I used to sing, Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Don't worry, guys. No more singing. At least not on this episode. <laughs> anyway, let's do one more hand from Pompano. Harris Pompano. Much later in the tournament, it is now 1,000, 2,000 on the blinds. Registration is just about over. We've got 56K or about 28 big blinds. Our M is about 11. We're at an eight-handed table, and I'm in third position with the king of spades, queen of hearts. So two folds to me, and it's up to me with king-queen offsuit. Of course, we're going to open. I make it 4K off of my 56,000 stack, and a loose player in the cutoff with a big stack of about 150,000, a young Indian guy, uh, he seems very loose aggressive to me, honestly, but he has not been at the table for very long. That's important. It's just an early read based on maybe 30 or 40 minutes of play. Uh, he calls, 
and the action folds to the big blind who barely has me covered with 60k he is an awful old man like retiree a florida guy wearing a baseball cap that he obtained from a local strip club by the way <laughs> probably a septuagenarian he calls a lot he does not fold a lot and he calls from the big blind so the three of us are going to see a flop with 15,000 in the middle the flop comes jack of spades tray of spades deuce of spades hero with king queen including the king of spades the big blind checks and the action is on clayton with the king high flush draw i decide to fire 3500 into 15,000 my rationale here is we theoretically don't bet very often on monochrome boards but since i have the king of spades and i don't really want this loose aggressive indian player to charge me an arm and a leg to see another card i just decided to do a defensive bet a blocking bet as we sometimes call it to set the price to see fourth street so i just put in 3500 about a fifth of the pot a little more and the cutoff calls the old guy in the big blind throws his hand away so we're out of position versus a lag opponent and now with 22,000 in the middle the turn comes the king of hearts gives us a pair to go with our straight draw and i decided to bet again this time i put in 13,000 into the 22k pot so about 60 percent bet and he calls again at this point i thought there was a decent chance my hand could be good but i really wanted to see a spade on the river i was pretty sure that this opponent if he had flopped the nut flush draw would have raised for sure especially when i only bet 3500 into 15,000. i think he would have found that irresistible a great place for him to try to build a pot in position with the nut flush draw etc etc so i was hoping to make a flush because i knew that i would have my opponent beat and hopefully he would have something like queen jack with the queen of spades in that situation anyway he does call the thirteen thousand bet and now with forty-eight thousand in the middle hero with 35k remaining in the stack the river comes the tray of clubs pairing the board so our final board is jack of spades tray of spades deuce of spades king of hearts tray of clubs and i decided to shove just put it all in i'm trying to get called by a jack i also thought i might check and hope that my opponent would bluff with like the bear queen of spades if he missed everything but i'm just not sure that that hand would have called a 60 percent pot bet on the turn so it was hard for me to put him on just a bear queen of spades and as mentioned I already felt like he couldn't have the bare ace of spades so at that point i got ambitious and i felt like maybe i could shoot for value from a hand like ace jack so yeah i shove for value thinking my pair of kings is going to be good a lot in this situation and my opponent insta called with pocket deuces so he flopped a set did not raise with it waited until he filled up on the river and then busted his man I still could have bought in there were a few minutes left in late registration but I decided to just shake that one off and call it a day I came back a little bit later and absolutely destroyed a PLO cash game that we will not talk about on the tournament 
Poker Edge podcast. That'll do it for this episode. Looking forward to the World Series of Poker schedule coming out any minute now and hoping that we can get Derek to come join me next week so that we can talk about that. And so for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, with special thanks, as always, to our very generous sponsor, ACR Poker, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Log in, intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, wow